Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast, brought to you by Source from Sound Agriculture. I'm McCain Vogel, Associate Editor of No-Till Farmer. In today's episode, Editor Frank Lesseter chats with Nebraska Cropping System Specialist Bob Klein. The conversation covers no-till history, as well as the concept of eco-fallow, the process of controlling weeds after weed harvest with herbicides while minimizing soil disturbance as much as possible and conserving soil moisture. Let's talk a little about your history. You grow up on a farm or whatever? Yeah, I grew up on a farm in actually in eastern Nebraska. Then what'd you do? You went off to school. Where'd you go? Uh, University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Yeah. Okay. And then what happened after you graduated? <laughs> well, then the first couple of years, I went as a county agent in Douglas County or Omaha. And mm-hmm. then went back another year and got my master's and then went out west. Okay. And I was county agent for about 20 years in Red Willow County or McCook, the county seat there. So where's that located from, like, North Platte? Okay, it's straight south, about okay. 70 miles from North right. Platte. Yeah, the last 40 years, I've been in North Platte as a cropping system specialist. Well, we want to talk about ecofowl today in my history series. And um, I think, first off, we ought to get you to define what ecofowl was or is. Okay, here it is, is ecofowl, controlling weeds during the fallow period, mostly after winter wheat harvest, by using herbicides and or tillage with minimum disturbance of crop residues and soil. So that's really the key is is controlling the weeds and then the minimum disturbance of the soil and crop residues taking real good care of that crop residue because that's right. really important. Okay. So the key to this was instead of having a fallow season, you could somehow get away from that. And growers before this have been getting like two crops in four years. And with this, they could get two crops yeah. in three years, right? That's right. Yeah. The common thing before we started this was wheat, the summer fallow, and then wheat the next year or one crop in two years sure. or two in, you know. And it was basically all wheat. Yeah. Uh, and then what we did was introduce uh, corn or grain sorghum or, you know, sunflowers or prosomelon or something. But the two were actually corn and grain. Uh, so it would eliminate the... A fallow season altogether, or you would just well, it didn't it didn't well, season, right? Yeah, we'd start off with wheat, and then of course after winter wheat harvest, we would basically turn to spraying to maintain the mm-hmm. crop residue and control the weeds instead of going out there with tillage. Yeah. And then if we kept good residue out there, we'd also trap some snow in the wintertime and all that. So in general, we ended up with at least three inches of additional water in the fall that saved by using uh, herbicides instead of tillage to control the weeds. And then we would gain some more uh, 
over the winter, usually catching some snow and so forth. And then the next spring, when we planted corn or grain sorghum in there, uh, we really reduced evaporation. You know, when we talk about uh, evapotranspiration, you know, a good share of it, especially early in the season, is uh, evaporation and not transpiration, you know. Sure. And so we can really reduce that evaporation and get some pretty decent corn or grain sorghum yields or other crop yields. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say before we introduce this program, of course, I was county agent down in McCook then, and uh, we could not grow corn or grain sorghum profitably uh, by using conventional tillage. Sure. Uh, we just couldn't get good enough yields to, to make it profitable. So Gail Wicks kind of pioneered this system, and you worked with him. Uh, what yeah. gave him? What gave you folks the idea for Ecofowl? Well, there was some research going on. Kansas was doing some research and of using some atrazine after winter wheat harvest to control the weeds and so forth. And that really made a difference. Now, we would use Paraquat to burn down the weeds out there and then use the atrazine for residual. Mm -hmm. And we saw that we could uh, control the weeds and so forth by using the atrazine. And and, uh, this was really a a breakthrough when we had a a pre-emergence like atrazine to use in that fallow period. And uh, then, of course, lots of times we'd use some additional atrazine or some other herbicides uh, to control the weeds in crop Mm -hmm. instead of using tillage, uh, cultivation, and so forth. And so it really made quite a difference. Yeah. And you mentioned this earlier, but what? How much moisture retention do you think you could of uh, a grower could get on the average with this system? Yeah, well, we'd end up with a good three inches after harvest and so forth. And then, uh, you know, if you go to colors, the tillage to control weeds or cultivation, you know, each time you go out and do that operation, you can lose from a third to an inch, depending on the depth of soil water uh, through those. So it can make quite a difference in that. Now, we've seen that as much as a 100 bushel difference in using the ecofallow system as compared to uh, conventional tillage. And you say, well, we don't save that much water. Well, what happens in some of those years is that if you end up and say you got another five inches of water out there, uh, that uh, crop can hang on quite a while. And, uh, and then you eventually catch some rain. And, uh, yeah, if your crop already took the trip, uh, drying out because with conventional tillage. So we would end, you know, every seven or ten years, we'd see situations like that where we got some good rains in August there. And if your crop was still in good shape uh, with the excess soil water you had, uh, sure. quite a difference in, in the system. So where this was popular in western Nebraska, what kind of uh, 
rainfall or moisture during the year did you get? How many inches or whatever? Yeah. Well, like in the McCook area and North Platte, you're talking probably about 19 inches okay. on the average. So when you were in McCook County, was Paul Schaefer in your county? Yeah. Yep. He <laughs> just uh, in Indianola. And uh, he was one of our early adapters and so forth in the eco-farming system. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you about a story about Good. Paul. Uh, him and his brother-in-law were flying. His brother-in-law had a pilot's license flying over their cornfields. And this is in the early days, the eco-fallow. Mm -hmm. And they flew over this one, and half of it was greener than the other half. And they made several passes over the field. It just didn't make any sense because they planted the same hybrid all the way through the field. Sure. They uh, used the same herbicides all the way over the field. And they fertilized it the same all the way over the field, the same. It just didn't make any sense. Well, half the field <laughs> was greener than the other half. Yeah. So they landed and drove over to the field got looking around oh yeah they looked different and it was you know greener in part and where it was greener there was more straw wheat straw because yeah. they planted in wheat straw sure and then they went over what wasn't as green there wasn't much wheat straw there oh yeah on half the field we took the straw spreader off and bailed the windrow of straw uh -huh. and paul called me and he says he told me about it he says, Bob, are you interested in checking yields? And I said, you bet, because that was the early days of it, and we didn't have all the documentation on it yet. And so we went out there and checked the uh, yield on corn on where they took the straw spreader off and uh, bailed it. And it was a good year in southwest Nebraska for the corn it made, 97 bushel mm -hmm. and then we went over where they left the straw spreader on and uh and the yield there and it made 117 wow and the ball says you know i didn't come close to getting the value in that straw of 20 bushels of corn <laughs> yeah and uh so uh, yeah it was pretty interesting you know the showing the value of that and one of the things that we really like about the Equal Fallow Program in our wheat, fallow wheat, to maintain soil organic matter, which is a major component in soil health. Sure. And, of course, soil health is, you know, the big thing right now. But it takes about uh, 4,000 pounds of residue or two tons uh, of residue per year to maintain soil organic matter. And, uh, or in the uh, wheat fallow wheat rotation, you would have to actually have 80 bushel uh, of wheat in that every other year cropping system or 8,000 pounds of residue. Mm -hmm. And if you look back at our yields about that time, uh, we were averaging probably about 23 bushels in southwest Nebraska, only about a third of what we needed to to maintain soil organic matter. Right. So you can see what we did to soil health 
in that wheat fallow wheat rotation, and uh, you could see quite a difference. I got a real good slide where a farmer always started wheat harvest on the edge of this field, and then it didn't spread the residue very good. But I would say right behind the uh, combine, he had about three times as much residue. And so that area got plenty of residue, and it really is good wheat. And in between, it's not too good. Yeah. And it shows you the advantage of that soil or canning matter. So one thing we ought to do here is, is uh, put a timetable to this. So Ecofallow came out in the 60s or 70s, right? Yeah, when the first year that we really saw it adapting the system to any extent was 1974, okay. so 50 years ago now. Sure, right. And we estimated that there were about 5,000 acres treated uh, after wheat harvest uh, that summer in 1974, mm -hmm. 50 years ago. Any cons to this system? Problems? When we first started, we had lots and lots of problems. <laughs> One was the application of the herbicides. Mm -hmm. uh, the sprayers uh, that time were not set up too good. Uh, some people thought they were pretty good at spraying, and uh, but when you go out and spray a weed stubble field, uh, you can see every weed you miss out there. <laughs> if you're spraying green weeds, in a cornfield or soybean field, if you miss a few, you know, it's not too bad. Right. But when you're spraying a wheat stubble field, man, you can see every one you miss and so forth. And then with the system, you know, if we had a weed that we didn't control, and of course it produces seed, which makes it hard to control because there's no crop competition out there. So right. the weeds really do good, produce a lot of seed. And in general, in those areas in dry western Nebraska, we wouldn't have a crop wherever we had weeds and so forth. So uh, that was a major problem. We worked a lot with sprayers and so forth and dealers. Uh, we had some real innovative dealers like Owen Elmer down at McCook. Uh, yeah. He advised uh, the sprayer reader. He set up good commercially. Uh, marking systems were a major problem that uh, Owen actually developed a, a thing that would make a ridge out there to uh, drive by. Um, so that was important. Uh, Dewey Canoe down at Trico at Oxford, uh, they had first time through the field, they would actually just move over half the width of the boom and then double spray and then use those tracks, just every other set of tracks for spraying later on. And oh. he said at that time, uh, he really sprayed the field twice, but he would bill the farmers just for one and a half and he <laughs> would absorb the other half of the cost. And it really worked good because of the fact that with the rates he were using, he really got good coverage with like the Paraquat. And uh, that's one reason he you know, did so good. So that was another problem. Another one was crop residue distribution. Um, and we could really see, you know, the effects of that. We even have that today uh, back on Paul Shafford's in 2013. <laughs> Paul called my attention to one of his fields. 
and they had a John Deere uh, 40-foot Draper head on a sure. on the combine, and uh, it spread the residue 20 feet. Right. And uh, so 10 feet outer on either end was not getting residue. Well, we went out in the field and got ears, and there was good ears on the 20 feet that had the residue. There was nubbins on the outer 10 feet on each one of those. (laughs) Yeah. It made a world of difference, you know, and so forth. And so... Uh, you know, all these things, you know, and so crop distribution is really important. The planters and drills at that time were not very good at planting in crop residue. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a real problem, especially behind the combine, if it didn't spread the residue very good and um, of trying to plant in that and get a good stand. Now, you know, we've got good planters here with the disc and so forth that can do a pretty good job planting in some pretty heavy residue. But yeah. all these things were, were big problems. And and I know we had some people that, you know, were probably ready to give up or did give up. Uh, I know Dwight Balsenberger, uh, he tried several things out there at Kimball County and he gave up a couple of times uh, trying to implement the system. <laughs> and eventually he got it to work out all, got the drills and everything else to do the job. So the, uh, the, the, deal- challenges. Yeah, the dealer that was double applying, my gosh, that was controlled yeah. traffic before we knew what we were, what to call it, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it was interesting, you know, we talk about some of those application things, and this was actually on Keith Olson for one of the people over mm. by Grant. And, of course, he headed the Farm Bureau in Nebraska here, good cooperator with us. And uh, he had a wheat field. It's a pretty dry year, and so wheat yields were only about 22 bushel or something like that. Sure. And when they sprayed, uh, you know, the uh, sprayer wasn't set up very good. It had 60-inch nozzle spacing and flood nozzles and all these kinds of things that were wrong until we learned how to really do it. And what was interesting, though, is there'd be rows of weeds out there, and he combined it in the opposite direction it was sprayed. Uh-huh. And they didn't spread the residue very good. Later on, he got a straw storm, which really did a good job. But at this time, he didn't yeah. and spread the residue probably only about a third of the distance. Well, with with that uh, 25 or 22 bushel wheat, that was probably the equivalent of about 60 bushel residue right directly behind the combine. And that really suppressed the weeds. I mean, you had rows of weeds, but there would be a break there right where the combine ran and then there'd be weeds again uh just because and showed you you know we talk about cover crops um, and and weed management uh suppressing the weeds you could really see it and this was you know way back in the 70s and so there's not many new ideas out there you know that uh, and we learned some of those things the value of those good crop residues and so if you have a good, and we really advocate stripper headers, 
we really like stripper headers for the Equipalvo system. So then the only thing we have to do is spread some chat. And that makes the system a lot easier. We'll come back to the episode in a moment. But first, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Source from Sound Agriculture, for supporting today's podcast. Do you want to make your fertilizer plan more efficient? Source it. Source from Sound Agriculture optimizes the amount of crop nutrition supplied by the microbes in your soil, providing 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre. It's a cost-effective alternative to live biologicals that you can throw in the tank and spray in season. If you want to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI, there's only one answer. Source it. Learn more at sound.ag. And now, let's get back to the conversation with Frank Lesseter and Bob Klein. So I went back and pulled a story that we had done in No-Till Farmer in October of 1977. And I was I was out there and the farmer we featured were Bob Jean and Lawrence Hebner. Remember them? Yeah. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is Eagle yeah. Fallow still going today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would say that, uh, you know, that's what most of the farming is done now. And, uh, and of course, we always did encourage opportunity farming in that system. In other words, sure. let's say you start it with winter wheat and you really want a good wheat crop. That's number one thing. We want to do everything you can to get that good a winter wheat crop and then do a good job of taking care of that crop residue and spray timely and all these kinds of good things. You know, don't let any weeds go to seed and all this. Then you plant, you know, the corn or the grain sorghum or other crops in there. And then you come the next spring. And if it's a dry year, you fallow and then plant wheat in the fall and take uh, start the program over again. Mm-hmm. But I recommend... You know, in that spring at about corn planting time or grain sorghum planting time or whatever else crop you're planting, to go out and check your soil moisture. And if you've got good weed control and you have good crop residue and you have moisture probe out there and you've got good soil water, hey, go out and plant another crop of corn or grain sorghum or other crop out there and take advantage of that. Sure. Uh, good soil water. And l- we've had people, I know I worked with a farmer in Kansas, and it happened to be a good years, several good years of rainfall. And uh, he called me and he did it about six years in a row of planting grain sorghum. He says, Bob, he says, I never made money like this before, <laughs> you know, getting a yeah. good crop every year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you want to take advantage of it. Uh, right. when you have those good years and so forth. And uh, it's very, very important to do. And you can show the value of that residue. Another one real interesting story was in Frontier County. A farmer had a field, and he planted two different uh, corn hybrids out there. Uh-huh. One was a long-season one, and he was sure it wouldn't uh, mature before frost. And so on that half of the field, 
he went and harvested the corn for silage, left the other half for grain. Sure. Then he planted the whole field to corn, the same hybrid the next year, mm-hmm. where he harvested the silage the year before. He had zero corn yield. It didn't even set any years. Right. He had a good corn yield where he harvested for grain the year before. Yeah. And I tell farmers, the biggest mistake you can make if you have a dry year or something, never, never in a dry land in western Nebraska, take all that residue off. You need to do it. There's not any corn to harvest out there. You know, just yeah. don't do anything. But you want that corn out there to protect what residue is left and catch any snow, prevent wind erosion. Uh, boy, don't even consider uh, going out there. And and I know, and of course, eastern Nebraska, they they can, you know, take it off and, and sure. plant something else in the fall. And But when we have a dry year, I hate to see them. And yeah, I don't want farmers in western Nebraska to pick up the idea that they can go out there and salvage some residue out there and, and in dry land western Nebraska. Yeah, well, that's a good example because with corn silage, you've got practically zero residue. So That's right. Okay. Yeah. And there, so, the field will look completely bare after you, all the yeah. wheat residue and you have will blow out of that by that second winter if yeah. you don't protect it with the corn stalks and so forth. So people that are using ecofowl today, what are they doing for um, herbicides? Have they gone to glyphosate instead of paraquat, or what are they using? Yeah, we we use a lot of glyphosate, and of course it's really great on the controlling the volunteer wheat, which mm-hmm. is you know a big pest out there, but glyphosate now, we have a problem with glyphosate-resistant weeds and so forth. And our biggest one now, now that's a problem, is Palmer amaranth. Sure. That's a real challenge. And I tell you about a farmer said down by Juanita said to me, he says, Bob, he says, I thought kosher was a problem until <laughs> I got Palmer amaranth. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I would agree with him. But Palmer amaranth comes up all season long. Now, good stands of either corn or grain sorghum are really important, you know, in controlling the weeds because if you got any skips out there, you know, it don't. But you know, we use herbicides like Acuron and so forth, and and mm-hmm. they do a good job. But you got to put a good weed program together. It worked really easy when glyphosate did everything. Right. And, but I tell people now, you know, uh, you're going to need in the spring, usually many times you need to put a spring burn down out there. And then you need a good pre-emergence. And then you'll look at one and maybe in some cases two applications, post applications uh, to control the weeds. Mm-hmm. And uh, but put a good program together. and. Uh, if you have any problems, you know, contact people like myself and we'll try to help you out and put a good program together. But uh, weed management is, is really a key. What are what are farmers using to control Palmer amaranth? 
Well, Acuron would be uh, one, and of course okay. we also use the Dicamba. You know, mm-hmm. that's uh, yeah. a big one too. And uh, we'll also look at what other weeds you got out there. You need the control. Uh, you know, the Acuron, those kind of ones have been really good. And uh, and lots of times we're using split applications. Um, one of the things is. I like to get my spring application on early so I pick up some rainfall to get it activated. And, uh, you know, we got to always be concerned that uh, herbicide is not going to do a good job of pre-emergence herbicide until it gets activated by soil water, preferably, you know, a half inch of soil rainfall to really get it activated. Yeah. So, yeah, you want to plan really a good, good weed management program. That's that's really key. And um, and stripper heads help. You know, you get a lot of good residue out there. And uh, that can be, I know some people have said that they can get by with one less herbicide application with a uh, stripper head or huh. wow. because you maintain, you know, any residue that goes through the combine uh doesn't last as long and we want to keep that residue as long as we can right and uh that's that helps with a stripper head right. <laughs> it doesn't go through the combine you know you we, we've been doing no-till farmer now for 53 years you go back to the early days when I, we got it started and the the main herbicides were paraquat princep atrazine Banville, which is kind of like what dicamba is today in 2,4-D, and gosh, most yeah. of them are still being used. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, Anthrazine is a good old standby. It just makes about most of the other herbicides work a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, we use dicamba in 2,4-D, uh, and we'll use paraquat. We use a lot more paraquat now with resistant weeds after winter weed harvest uh, lots of times. And we've got to really, you know, do a good job with our applicators setting up at the uh, right gallonage, the right nozzles, all these kinds of things to get the good coverage and so mm-hmm. forth. It's it's really important. And of course, the pulse width modulation is, is another key factor in there uh, of, doing a good job but uh setting up and of course we've done a lot of work over the years in in application that's really been helpful right uh the the new players on the market these days are like john deere c and spray and there's a couple other that are using cameras to spot weeds is this going to work in eco fallow or no-till situations yeah, I think it can work quite well because they'll come out uh, and, uh, you know, there are lots of times when we come back with a later application, uh, we just got some spots in fields and so forth. And so, yeah, we can help uh, reduce the cost if we have that. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of possibilities. And, and we've been working over the years and, of course, technology is, it really increased uh, the ability to do this now. 
Sure. And uh, so I think that, you know, we'll see it. It's pretty expensive right now. Sure. And right. of course, uh, but uh, I, I think we'll get a Got to see it adapted uh, as one of the ways we can reduce cost, and and we don't want to use any more pesticides than we have to either. We can reduce right. the pesticide use, so right. well, it has several benefits. You bet. I guess the big thing that's got to work is uh, cameras got to know the difference between brown residue and green weeds. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's a challenge and so forth, but uh, I think with the day's technology, I think we'll be able to pull some of those things off and, and right. uh, like I say, reduce cost and and make it economical. Right. But there there will be challenges in, yeah. in getting the system to work, which there is in probably most systems like that. Yeah. I was going to bring up something you mentioned earlier about the distribution out of the combine with residue management. I mean, we're we're getting to where we've got 50 and 60 foot headers now, and it's just got even the best. (laughs) Yeah, what do we do about that? (laughs) Yeah, well, makes it a lot easier with a stripper head because we don't take in all that residue. Mm-hmm. And so it's a real challenge, it's, as I mentioned, the Draper head down on Paul Shaft, which right. is like 40 foot. And I know, I don't know if they brought it out. I know John Deere was talking about a 60 foot Draper, but I don't know if they brought it. I haven't followed. Yeah, I, th- I think somebody's. I think somebody's got one today. I'm not sure who it is. Okay. But. And uh, so, yeah, I would. That can be a real problem, and that residue is so valuable, you know, uh, not only for the next crop, for helping suppress weeds too. Right. And uh, so it uh, it's kind of a mistake. I I think that we don't. I don't want any um, combine and uh, that I can't spread the residue or whatever it is, even the fines. You know, uh, right. the full those wisdom. fines that come out of that. If you have that volunteer wheat at a high level, it makes it harder to control. And uh, then if you spread it all out, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, if you spread it over the entire 40 feet, uh, you don't have a lot of volunteer per area. And so it's a lot easier to control with higher plant populations. and. Right. And I always think back when we first started working with anthracene, and I was just like everybody else, you know, we really don't know knew a lot about it. But we'd have farmer come in the office and say, "Can I plant soybeans where I used anthracene last year?" And says, sure. "Well, we'd tell him how to get a soil sample, and then bring it in the office, and then we would split it up half of it." And we treat half of it with activated charcoal and not treat the other half. Mm-hmm. And then we plant some oats in there and then tell him to come in in about three weeks and we'll yeah. go over it with you. And so he'd come in and shoot. The oats look fine where they had the atrazine. So you'd go out and plant his uh, soybeans and guess what? They came up and died. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and then we finally put a graduate student on it. We found out what the problem was is we put too many oat seeds 
in that flower pot with the treated soil and that, or untreated soil, and that's why there wasn't a problem, you know, and so uh-huh. forth. And then, so later on, we said, hey, for this area, you only put in eight oat seeds or something like that. Yeah. And then we could identify the problem with the bioassay. <laughs> and uh, so we learned a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Have I missed anything about ecofalla we should be talking about? Well, the big, big thing is we really want to stress you want to grow that good winter wheat crop and get that residue, spread that residue, or better yet, use a stripper header. Make sure you do a good job of spreading the fines and then get those applications on timely for weed management. Don't let anything go to seed. And uh, just making sure that you do all those things yeah. uh, that can really, really make a difference. And I don't think that when we first started the program, we put enough emphasis on growing that good mm-hmm. winter wheat crop. In fact, I tell a farmer today, if you don't grow that good winter wheat crop, you need to follow and start over again and try to grow that good winter wheat crop before you really try to introduce the corn or the grain sorghum or sunflowers or proso millet or whatever it happens yeah. to be in there. Because you just won't be successful unless you have that good winter wheat crop. And it also make weed control a lot tougher if you don't have the good yeah. residue out there. So nationwide, the wheat acreage still seems to be going down. What's happening in western Nebraska? Yeah, and and one of the I mentioned earlier there that one of those reasons are is we got more people that are you know doing continuous cropping, sure. taking advantage of that soil moisture. They're trying to eliminate you know the fallow period. But uh, you want to, and I caution these people, I says, you want to make sure you have good crop residue out there. And you want to make sure you have enough soil water at planting time. If you don't, you better follow and not try to plant some crop out there and and then fail with that. Okay. So, you know, then you got a failed crop there and then you try to, let's say you, try to plant spring wheat out there, which we have some people try to do. And then you get about a 20 bushel spring wheat yield. And then you try to plant corn in there. You know, you don't have much residue. You won't get a good corn crop or grain sorghum crop. You kind of dug yourself into a corner and so forth. So, uh, you know, you really want to manage the system. And like I say, if you got enough soil moisture, now we have some people that put some peas out there and some of those things. And uh, But one of the things is, in general, we like to see, if possible, uh, crops that produce quite a little residue and because uh, that's our thing we can really benefit from in yeah. dry western Nebraska. Right. And I know with some work Paul Yass has done and so forth, you know, and he shows that, and of course, we experience the same thing. You have good residue out there, and you have controlled traffic, 
and you get a rainstorm moving through three, four, five inches in an hour, you're going to soak it all up. You have bare ground out there, and there's no, not even controlled traffic or even with controlled traffic. You may only get a quarter to a half inch of moisture in that soil. Right. versus four or five inches. Right. And uh, so, yeah, well, we want to... It's like Paul preaches, uh, a no-till program starts with the combine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You got to have good, you know, you got to do a good job with that combine and, and spread that residue and and all that, and you want right. to take care of that residue is really friendly. And right. then controlled traffic is, is really important. I don't think we probably stress that enough. Uh, well, it's easy to do today with GPS. It wasn't easy to do 30 years ago. but That's right. <laughs> and we talk about marking systems. It's so easy now with GPS RTK. Right. And I remember all of the problems we had, you know, with trying to do marking systems and so forth. Right. That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast. Thanks to Bob Klein for that great discussion. And thanks also to our sponsor, Source from Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this podcast possible. A transcript of this episode and our archive of previous podcast episodes are both available at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening. Keep on no-tilling. <laughs>